I'm Ed Satterfield, uh, Associate Pastor here at Third, and excited to be here with you delivering the Lord's Word today. This week and next, we are concluding our series on Among American Gods, uh, studying the Ten Commandments. Uh, this week, we're studying the Ninth Commandment, um, not to bear false testimony. And uh, I hope you've been seeing as we've been studying this that each commandment flows from the one before it that uh, the first four really have to do with our vertical relationship with God and have to do with uh, putting, uh, having no other gods before him, and each one gets a little bit more specific in terms of how to do that. The last six commandments, five through ten, uh, do the same thing, starting with honoring our father and mother, which is really about honoring all people, um, and then get more specific each time. So today as we talk about the ninth commandment, there's a little bit of... Um, deepening to what we saw in the sixth commandment, uh, never murder, that it, this commandment helps us to see how uh, we more deeply uh, can uh, keep that commandment as well. But each one of the commandments calls us to think deeply and thoroughly about what is uh, prohibited by the commandment as well as what is called by, called for by the commandment. So let's read this text in Exodus 20 and also the selection from Ephesians chapter 4. From Exodus, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Then from Ephesians 4, therefore having put aside falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we, we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Then verse 29, let no corrupting work corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would uh, take this word and help open it to our hearts and minds so that we might be uh, changed as people, made new uh, because of your presence with us and your speaking with us. So we look to you now. Lead us as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This commandment is about speaking the truth rather than speaking that which is false. And the commandment's focus on not giving false testimony uh, has some unique uh, aspects to uh, helping us understand that lies are never done in a vacuum, that they always uh, have effects that go beyond just the speaking of something that's false. They affect the reputation and future of the person that we speak them about. Falsehood damages the person, and it also damages us. It damages our relationship. Not only does the Ninth Commandment urge us to avoid speaking in such a way that it damages how others are seen, but it positively calls us to maintain and promote the other person's reputation. We break it when we allow something to get in the way of the truth, where we might shade it or spin it in such a way that someone's reputation gets injured. But we also break it when we do nothing to contribute to building others up as well. So this morning we're going to explore three things from the commandment. First, 
the destructive power of falsehood, secondly, the edges of freedom of speech, and third, we'll look at the healing power of Jesus' love. So let's first look at the destructive power of falsehood. Breaking this commandment brings great destruction in our personal relationships, in our communities, in businesses, and in our culture. So let's think for a moment how this may be true. We know stories about people that are falsely accused and they end up becoming convicted and go to prison for something they didn't do. But even when the truth is discovered later, the exonerated person uh, still has had incredible damage done. The lost years in prison, the damaged reputation, and in many respects, lingering doubts that many may still have about, uh, about them. We should use this kind of picture to help us see the damage that we cause outside the courtroom. Words we speak in anger to those we love bring great damage. What we say wounds, it hurts. What we say is hard to forget. It doesn't just get wiped away. And it affects our sense of safety and trust in that relationship. The relationship itself gets damaged. When we do things like this, saying the phrase, you always do X, we are making a conclusion about a person's behavior and we're globalizing it to say this is all that you are and all that you do. You do it all the time. It's not really f the full truth about who they are, obviously. We've embellished it, we've expanded, and we've formed a faulty assumption about that person and they feel misunderstood, rightly so. When we assume that we know the other person's intentions and say things like, you meant to do that, or you hate me, we've made an emotional statement that uh, does damage because it's not capturing all that's going on. We're speaking out of our emotional intensity and we're bearing false testimony that drives us further from uh, each other. And when we do this, these kinds of tactics, and there are many more that we use with regularity, uh, when we use these kind of tactics, they drive us further from uncovering the truth of what may really be going on in the conflict situation that we're addressing. They wound deeply. They propel our conversation into greater defensiveness and the relationship into greater distance from one another. It's damage deeply done in our conflicts. Whenever we have conflict in the church or in any organization, a similar thing can happen when we don't speak directly to those who are involved with the decision or the conflict, but instead speak to others about that situation. We're not only not following God's word in, in Matthew 18 as to how to deal with a conflict, but we're in grave danger of spreading a bad report. We base our conversation on hearsay. We don't know the whole story, the whole situation. And we're often not in a position to actually pursue the remedy ourselves. Our presumption is very likely, likely going to spread half-truths, pass on false testimony that we've heard, and reputations can be damaged. Trust is weakened, and the problem can actually be greatly worsened as more people spread those rumors. Our culture is characterized by distrust and skepticism because uh, we live with uh, falsehood as a regular experience. 
Fake news is bad enough, but when we regularly get soundbite-sized discussions of issues which fail to take into account the full complexity of what's going on, we are damaged. The recent discussion about uh, immigration in our country is a great case in point. The flashpoint's all about parents being separated from their children, but the huge issue is, is not being fully addressed. Bait and switch advertising leave us with less than was promised. And so it's hard to do business these days and do it well. Spin is so prevalent that we are not ever sure that we're hearing the full story at all. Hyperbolic or emotional speech has replaced reasoned discourse. So when someone can just bring up an emotional argument, there's no way to address it because reason's been thrown out the window. Damage from this false testimony is massive. We are more litigious than ever before in our own society, uh, so we protect ourselves increasingly. Business is more difficult. No longer is the, the phrase, my word is my bond, used. Uh, in many respects, we have to work harder to find businesses that we can trust. Suspicion's the starting place with our relationships with people that we don't know, and so we are less open and friendly than we have ever been, and we keep more and more to ourselves, to our people, rather than uh, being more open. Distrust of authority and government are rampant these days. Damage is incredibly extended by false testimony. The Apostle James describes this destructive nature when he says in James 3, the tongue is as dangerous as any fire with vast potentialities for evil. It can poison the whole body. It can make the whole life a blazing hell. We have a serious problem produced by false testimony. But we want to look at the edges of freedom of speech. Freedom of speech in this country is a hallmark freedom. It's a beautiful thing to protect the rights of the individual to be able to speak against authority without fear of reprisal or fear of being silenced. It enables corrective prophetic voices to be able to address places of abuse and injustice in our culture, areas where uh, things need to be addressed. We need to have our problems identified and not hidden. This is a precious, precious freedom. Yet freedom of speech is the American God that we're gonna talk about this morning related to this commandment. Because idols are good things, but when the purpose for which they are created begins to be twisted or bent in, the, in a direction that they are not intended, uh, there's destruction that can happen. Whenever, when we can be those who are totally free to say whatever we want, whatever we feel, whenever we want to say it, destruction can follow. This is the negative edge of freedom of speech. Our sinful nature misuses our freedom. So today we see free speech corrupted in many, many ways. We feel free to speak our mind at any moment and often believe that the truth as we see it has to be expressed. It's just required. And sometimes our whole truth, or better, the bald truth that we may speak, actually wounds and damages rather than doing something constructive. It doesn't do anything but tear down. And many times uh, when we uh, just tell the whole truth, it can do great ruin. In personal relationships, we often speak out of our emotional reactions, and we may say things that have truth to them, but they hurt and they wound and they cause uh, conflicts that 
are difficult to resolve. When we point others' faults out and remember their offenses, offenses, rather than working hard to resolve those issues and pursue the real way of healing and forgiveness, damage is done. Our pure free speech often just aims to strike back, to defend, and often to silence other people's speech. That's one of the tragedies about uh, the hyperbolic um, emotional speech that we have these days. It's, you can't really argue, you can't really debate because uh, the tactic is taking it to a, a level which that's not permitted, and we end up silencing real debate and discussion. Postmodernism is the term that many people use to describe our own generation, our own culture, and it's one of its chief characteristics is deconstructionism. We're gifted at analytical perspective that enables us to break down arguments and uh, tear them down, to find problems, gaps, and faults in systems. And we do this with regularity. Our age finds fault with marriage, with parenting, with the church, with business practices, with government, with politics. Our analysis is often full of lots of truth. We are great at tearing down. So this is the first edge of freedom of speech, the ability to freely speak of what's wrong. And make, let's make no mistake, there's a lot that's wrong, that needs correction, that needs repair. But our analysis is far too often flawed because it's only partially true. It's filled with self-interest, and most times it speaks without really working towards a solution, a remedy. So this edge alone just leaves destruction. On the other hand, the scriptures present to us a, a different picture, a different edge for freedom of speech. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 says this, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are permitted, but not all things edify, not all things build up. He puts it another way in Galatians 5 when he says this, don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the sinful nature but through love, serve one another. We're free to say whatever we want, whenever we want it, and yet what's desperately needed is the truth that builds up. Paul describes the proper working of the church when he says that we are to speak the truth in love, and we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. The literal word there in this participle that's used for speaking the truth in love is actually truthing in love. It's a great way to sort of capture the phrase. Truthing in love has as its aim to build up, to help deliver a person into the place where they are growing up into the full maturity of how God has designed and shaped them to be. In, a, in the Ephesians passage we read earlier, we're called to speak the truth with our neighbor because we are members of one another. Why do we do damage with our speech when it's, it's really affecting us? The relationship is damaged. The culture is damaged. The community is damaged when we do it. We are to be angry, but to pursue that without sinning. All this we are urged to do so that we don't give the devil the opportunity. And we know from the scriptures that Satan's purpose is to divide. His, his purpose is to shade the truth into a lie. That's the sin, uh, the first step of sin towards sin in the garden is, G, is uh, Satan takes God's very word and bends it and twists it to a place where uh, life lived independent of God starts to take place. We begin to seize our own way 
rather than following in relationship to God. Every day we deal with the enemy's influence in our hearts and in our culture. Will we give him the opportunity or will we submit ourselves to God and his way of freedom? Will we wrestle to see clearly the thing that makes us angry so that we can press hard to find the solution to that conflict so that sin will not be entered in? Will we wrestle to know the whole truth and nothing but the truth in all of its complexity about our loved ones, about our neighbor, about our church, about our company, about our government? The Ephesians 4 passage gives us great tracks for free speech to run on. We are to avoid any speech that corrupts, but are to engage in only that which is good for building others up, appropriate to the present situation so that it will give grace to those who hear it. How in the world do we do this? We have an enemy who's always seeking opportunity to promote lies, to wreak destruction, we know ourselves to be deeply self-centered, seeing things from our limited perspective. We know our tongue is a dangerous fire with vast potentialities for evil. How do we do this? It's only through Jesus' presence in our lives that we have any hope. And so we wanna talk about the healing power of Jesus' love. Jesus engages each of us personally to bring about two movements in our lives. The first movement is one to convince us of our deep self-centeredness and its ineffectiveness to living independent from God. And second, he frees us, the second movement is to free us to, to, to love, to become other-centered in such a way that we bring blessing, we build others up, we help them to become the people that God intends them to become. Our self-centeredness is one of those key factors in our bearing false testimony. We can't see fully the other person's side of the issue and we're often blind to what we've done to contribute to it. Jesus lovingly moves us to a place where we see our own brokenness and our own contribution in seeing our self-centered way of seeking life. Our self-preoccupation will always color negatively our ability to build others up. Tim Keller has a quote, uh, put it on the front cover of the bulletin, and it goes like this. If each friend were to say to the other, I will treat selfishness as the main problem in this relationship, we have a prospect for good things. The more we examine why we say what we say, why we do what we do in our relationships, the better prepared we're going to be to see the other person clearly, to see ourselves clearly, to see the conflict clearly, and to be able to speak a word that heals, that restores, that builds uh, the other up. This is why Jesus teaches us that we are in any conflict, the first step that we're to take is to take the log out of our own eye. If we made a practice of log removal as a regular diet of our lives or as a regular part of dealing with any issue with another person or the church or a corporate entity, we have better prospects for good results if we'd start there even though we know that there's a problem with our brother or sister or with the organization. We have Jesus' help every single day. God's Holy Spirit is there uh, to pres present in us and with us to show us our brokenness. That's one of the movements he wants to produce in us so that we open our eyes to see ourselves more clearly, to see our broken inability as self-centered people. He's come to set us free indeed so that our speech might then be transformed into that which is seasoned 
by salt. Let us cooper- let's cooperate with his work in us. When I preached a couple of weeks ago on honor your father and mother, I encouraged you to become engrossed with the story of Jesus by reading the Gospels. And I recommended a book, which I'll again recommend today, uh, by Paul Miller, called Love Walked Among Us. And it really is just a story of his reflections on the life of Jesus. They're very wonderfully done uh, so that you get a greater and greater glimpse, I think, as he unfolds the pages of Scripture to understand how Jesus relates to you in the ways that he's dealing with you in the very moments of your life in the same way that he does with the page, people in the pages of Scripture. And I want us to just reflect a few moments this morning about uh, how Jesus deals with us as he wants to uh, engage us in these two movements. Countless times Jesus attended to the whole person, not just the presenting problem. There may be a person who was blind or who had some illness or um, someone who had uh, a problem in their own life. That was the presenting system, uh, symptom. But Jesus is always about dealing with the whole person. And so he always was addressing forgiveness, the need for um, God's restoration of his acceptance with that person, to take away shame and guilt, and to bring a person into a place where they knew love and acceptance. And he was doing that with people who felt marginalized, who felt neglected, who felt uh, that they weren't being addressed. He touches the leper. He notices the woman who has the uh, flow of blood or the person who's caught in adultery. He cares for the person who is a blind man on the side of the road that others are shooing off. And he engages them because he wants to bring to their life the wholeness of the redemption that he came to bring. He's about restoring and touching the hurting, broken places of our lives so that we might be made whole. And I love the the story of the woman at the well in this regard. And Jesus dealing with her is amazing. She's got issues, but his first step is not to address those issues. His first step is to be vulnerable with her, to ask for help. He asks for water. Uh, He needs her help to get a drink. He's uh, breaking social custom just even in talking to her. And he arouses her curiosity by this conversation with her and uh, by asking for help. And he intrigues her by telling her that he could give her living water that would flow up to eternal life, sort of whets her appetite for uh, what he might have to say and what he might bring to her life. And it's only then that he perceptively tells her about her history in her marriage relationships. But he does so in such a way that she doesn't feel ashamed. She doesn't feel rejected. But she actually feels like someone, perhaps for the first time, really understands her history in a more deep way that's really getting at the essential core, the longing for deep um, satisfaction in life that flows up from within, that comes from God. She believed in him and trusted him, and so she runs into town and tells everybody that she can see using this phrase, come see the man who told me everything I've ever done. (laughs) And for a person who had been uh, coming to the well at the off hour because she felt ashamed about her history and her story, and she didn't want to face people anymore because she felt that guilt Here's a person who hid away from people, now running into the middle of town, wanting to tell her story, (laughs) not embarrassed about it or ashamed about it at all, because she'd been set free by Jesus' love and acceptance. She'd known 
deep down a living water that gives life, that built her up and enabled her to be free to be all that she uh, is intended to be. And so she went into town consumed with the purpose of telling other people and getting them to come as well. And that's the second movement Jesus wants to create in us. He wants to build in us a freedom that allows us to take bold steps, to speak words that build up, that give life, that encourage. And this is uh, the work that we want to long for in our own experience as well. When Jesus helps us become free of some of the patterns in our own lives that are doing damage in us, that are a part of the pattern of brokenness in us, when we begin to experience freedom from those things, even in a small measure, we'll want everyone around us to share in that same blessing, that same freedom, and we'll be going to encourage and to uh, tell the story. No longer will we be fixated on silent judgment of others or telling them of their faults. We'll want to encourage them to live new life with us. He'll free us to teach us how to speak the truth in love how to speak a word that fits the moment to build others up. Some of you have uh, knew my dad. He died back in 2002. Um, but I want to tell a little bit of his story because I think it helps illustrate this, uh, this point about the two movements that Jesus wants to build in us. Uh, my dad was, uh, uh, in the earlier part of our lives, really focused on his work uh, as a way to provide for us. And uh, he didn't thoroughly enjoy his work, uh, so he'd work hard all day, get really frustrated, come home, be very tired, uh, go to bed, and do it again the next day. And we knew he loved us, but there wasn't a whole lot that he was uh, giving in terms of blessing and encouragement uh, in those days, as contrasted when, uh, after he started coming here to third and was really influenced by the words spoken here that built up and gave life, he was freed. <laughs> to be a new person because it enabled him to begin to see others and the needs around them, to be freed from sort of that self-centered preoccupation of just doing the, the, the thing that we, he was called to do in his duty as a parent, to be someone who really thought about what other people needed and longed to tell them because of the freedom he'd experience. So he helped uh, to begin to talk to some people uh, that he had known for years and uh, led several people to know Christ because he felt that freedom that he was experiencing and couldn't help but want to share it with them. And another thing he did uh, with us was a little strange, but um, he would uh, memorize Scripture and think about ways in which he could speak that word of Scripture to us as a blessing. And he was a little awkward at first when he started doing this, but when we'd come over for dinner or when we'd uh, be at the beach together uh, before we'd go to bed or uh, before we'd leave, he would just uh, pause and speak that word of Scripture to us, to speak a word that he thought about, that he contemplated, that he wanted to convey. It was a word of blessing. It was a word of encouragement to the new life that Christ had given us. And I want to just uh, give us a couple of practices uh, as we uh, uh, finish talking about this commandment today to help us with those two movements that Jesus wants to do in our lives. The first is to spend time with Jesus, to get engaged with him and the way in which he relates to us as he relates to those on the pages of Scripture. So I've already encouraged you to use the book, uh, Love Walked Among Us, read the gospel stories, 
and become absorbed with grasping the ways in which Jesus is wanting to set you free. And um, you can use journaling as a way to regularly explore that. And you may want to do some log removal exercises as a regular practice in your life just to say, Jesus, keep showing me the ways I'm broken, the ways my life is not working. Show me the ways that I am so self-centered because I want to be set free. Help me uh, to see that and understand those broken places so that I might receive your grace and your healing and your restoration. And you may want to journal just to write down some of those things and keep revisiting them. Write down scriptures that help you in this direction of freedom. But a second way that you can use time with Jesus is to uh, work on the other movement, which is our freedom to be able to begin to speak the word of blessing to others. Uh, again, I'll use Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life, this time to give you a way to do that. Uh, your assignment today is to go home and take two three-by-five cards, and I want you to think of just two people that you want to start this practice with. And the aim is that you would start to think about their needs, and you can think about it in two ways. What are their gifts, their interests, their unique character? Who has God made them to be or is making them to be? Let Jesus lead you in exploring that and write down some of those thoughts. Secondly, you can explore what are the areas that they need growth and development and pray for those things. Uh, Paul's practice was to take the scriptures and have uh, uh, let the Lord lead him to passages of scripture that he could use um, to pray for that person that spoke to the uniqueness of who they were becoming and the needs that they had. So your task is two people, write down their name and uh, some of these reflections and thoughts in any scripture that comes to you. And then throughout the week, uh, every day this next week, take time to just go over that card and continue that reflection with the Lord. Because as Paul's discovered, and I think I've discovered, when we commit ourselves to this pursuit of God-directed, thoughtful understanding, it enables us to deepen our knowledge and understanding uh, of what God may be doing and find ways that we might be able to be contributors to building the other up. We have no more truthful word to speak to others than to help them know the true word, Jesus himself, and to grow up in him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we look to you now and thank you that you are such an amazing uh, personal savior for us. You continue to want to do those two movements in us, to continue to show us the broken places in our lives so that you might set us free, that you might heal and restore us so that we might be made new and freed to be those who are uh, less self-centered, less trapped by those uh, tendencies, to be those who are able to speak the word of grace, to build others up and to encourage them to be all that you've created them to be. Help us in this, Lord Jesus. We look to you now and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.